Hello, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. School shootings, that's the topic. School shootings. You know, you know when the first school shooting took place? 1988. At that time, a 30-year-old woman, it's not a boy or a man, 30-year-old woman by the name of Lori Dan, D-A-N-N, walked into an elementary school room, schoolhouse, in Winneka, Illinois, outside of Chicago, and opened fire with a handgun, killing an eight-year-old boy and wounding five other children before killing herself. That was a famous case because obviously it was the first one, and it attracted national attention. The weapon that was used was easily obtainable by this uh, young woman. And um, since then, we've had an epidemic of schoolroom shootings, schoolhouse shootings, with the mounting numbers of children being murdered and killed and wounded and severely injured as a result of these shootings. What are we, over 18 of these now, just in recent years. Interestingly, the lady, uh, Lori Dan, was in psychiatric treatment at the time and was taking a psychiatric medication. Now that medication is known to perhaps reduce some of the depression and the anxiety, but it also reduces what we call the control factors of a person's thought patterns and life and behavioral style. In other words, the reins of control are loosened and one acts on impulses and acts on thoughts more likely under the influence of the medication than when not under that particular medication. And as a result of the drug that she was taking, anaphenol, the psychiatrist was sued by the parents because that drug was known to worsen hostility and aggressive and thoughtful thoughts of an individual taking it. So we've had now mass shootings across the country. And you wonder what we've learned from all this. We turn to a psychologist by the name of Dr. David Kishner from Long Island, New York. Now this particular psychologist is well known in the field of forensic psychology and has testified and evaluated for the past 25 years many, many young people who are known murderers and killers of other people, not just schoolroom or schoolhouse shootings, but others as well. So he's had opportunity to evaluate a fairly large number of these kids that shoot others and uh, do a little study on what they're like and some of the factors that are going on. And you know what we all think, that the person that did the shooting should have been in therapy, should have been on medication, you know, should have uh, had parents that prevented them from such behavior and prevented them from having guns. We all think that. But let's look and see what this particular psychologist found when he kind of evaluated many and many of these kids. Let's just name a few of them, okay? We'll put it in a kind of pictorial picture here. Eric Harris. Eric Harris. He was one of the Columbine shooters. He was prescribed a psychiatric medication prior to his rampage. So he was in treatment. He was taking medication. Didn't stop him. 
Kip Kennell. Kendall. Kip Kendall. He was the one who shot 27 students at the Oregon High School. He was being treated with Ritalin and Prozac. And he was being treated in a superficial form of psychotherapy, which means every once in a while he saw a therapist or a counselor of some kind, but nothing active and nothing really profound and nothing uh, well-organized. The medications were generally prescribed for ADD or attention deficit disorders. Then you have uh, Chu Shung-hee, the Virginia Tech shooter. He killed 32 students and wounded 17. He had been seen in a psychiatrist and was prescribed antidepressant medication prior to his violence. So he was in treatment. It was, the doctor was relying more on the medication than he was on the actual therapy that was being provided. Then you have Adam Lanza. He was the Sandy Hook, Connecticut elementary school killer. He had medical records of the state that, that are now in the state hands, but they were voluminous records. And the state has those records and will not release them, so we can't really know too much about his treatment history, except that he was in psychiatric treatment. Then you have Nicholas Cruz, who is 19 years old, who admitted to killing 17 pupils in the Parkland, Florida High School. He had a long history of psychological problems and irrational behavior, but he was allowed to have access to assault weapons. He had, uh, he had access to mental health treatment, just like everybody else. And he was diagnosed with an attention deficit and autistic kind of behavior. So many of these people, uh, Cruz here and, and all the others, all of them had access to mental health treatment. Some of them were in treatment at the time. Some were in treatment in the past, and most of them were being treated with medication, not with psychotherapy. Or if they were in psychotherapy, it was minimal, it was periodic, and it was certainly not um, confrontive and profound and helpful. Many of the treatment procedures were carried out by counselors uh, of a master's level uh, educational level. So we have these teenagers now who are now uh, young adults with a murdering history. And um, they were in some kind of treatment, but um, psychological problems were historic, profound, and not really addressed in a profound or direct or comprehensive way. Kids like this really need a comprehensive treatment program. Sure, they need medical care. They, need, they may need the medication of a uh, psychiatric nature. But what they do need is a weekly, regular, concentrated psychotherapy program in which the parents participate. Not just take your kid to the doctor and drop them off and come back and pick them up. But the parents must participate. And that was not necessarily what was found among these kids who engage in schoolhouse shootings. So medications don't prevent. And in fact, some of the evidence suggests that some of the medications that a person is, used, is using from a psychiatrist would enhance the possibility of homicidal 
kind of thinking and behavior pattern. So it puts people more at risk than maybe it does to lessen the risk. So what have we learned? Powerful assault weapons are available. Mental health treatment is available. Mental health treatment is often engaged in, but to a limited degree. And uh, there is little parental involvement in the life of the kids who engage in this kind of behavior. And um, they are at the mercy of the politicians these days, it looks like, who are arguing whether guns should be available or not and what kind of mental health treatment should be available or not. Really what they need is a parent. <laughs> what they need is a set of parents. What they need is parents who are engaged, parents who are involved, parents who are uh, committed to them, and parents who are part of their life, and parents who go to treatment with them and participate in treatment with them and monitor their behavior and uh, make sure that inappropriate uh, toys like guns are not involved, are not allowed, or are not available to such kids. Now, in my own clinical practice as a psychologist, I've had kids like this. I've seen kids who have murdered others. I've seen kids who have threatened to murder others. Of course, this is not necessarily something that a psychologist is not engaged in, does not find it part of their practice. But you take very considerate and strong and active involvement in the treatment of these kids, and you see them more than once a month. You see them every week. You see them twice a week. You see them three times a week sometimes. You put them in hospitals, and you follow up with treatment, and you, you become actively involved in a treatment program that will alter the thinking pattern, alter the emotional patterns, alter the anguish and the resentment and the bitterness and the hostility and the anger with which these kids live. And then obviously the social isolation that is part of their life so much. They just don't have friends. They just don't have people that they can deal with. And if they're rejected, they don't know how to deal with social rejection. These are the kids. They're part of our community. They're part of our life. They're part of our church. They're part of our community. They're part of our neighborhood. We need to be alert to them and be of help to them, to reach our hand out to them and make sure the parents of these kids get support and get some help as well. So it's not a matter of whether these kids are in treatment. They are. It's a matter of whether they're in treatment along with their parents and that the therapist is a psychologist who does the counseling, who does the psychotherapy with them, not just a psychiatrist who sees them for seven minutes and gives them a medication and then does not see them for a month or two or three for the next medication review. We have to be actively engaged. Insurance companies need to have policies that allow high-risk kids to be seen more than once a week, more than two or three times a month. We need insurance procedures and policies and uh, acceptance of insurance claims for these kids, even if they're seen daily for a week or two or a month or two, so that we don't have these kind of behavior patterns emerging in our community. No more schoolhouse shootings should be our motto. And the answer is within the context of getting these kids in therapy and getting these families in therapy and working together with them. Well, nice to have you with me today. This is a tough topic, and uh, the schoolroom shootings go on, and we'll, ha we'll have more. 
But uh, look at it from the context that these kids are and have been in therapy or at least getting medication to a minimal degree and being undertreated, less than optimal. That's the problem. So we need to up that a little bit. And insurance companies need to work with us you know, to do that. Well, bye for now. Thank you.